Hey, Mike, how you doing? Hey, Josh, how are you? Oh, I'm pretty good, you, sir. I'm doing really well. I, I can't, man, I can't tell you how excited I am to talk to you. I think this is just so great, and I, I'm just kind of blown away that you even agreed to talk to me. So thank you so much. <laughs> Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. The purpose of this account that I created uh, about a year ago now was just because I'm a lifelong Mavs fan, and I just thought it would, like, initially I just thought it'd be kind of funny to post, like, pictures of some, like, lesser-known Mavs and guys that only spent a yeah. short amount of time there and started to get, like, a little bit of a following. Not even that much, but, like, some former players started liking photos, yourself included, and Marquise, and uh, Mo mm-hmm. Ager and everything. And, and I just thought that was so awesome. And eventually it evolved into a podcast. And, um, but, but by no means do I, do I consider you a, uh, one of the forgotten maps that I post <laughs> about, but, um, I just, like no, I said, okay. I, I'm so excited to talk to you, man. Oh, cool, man. Like I said, it's just a blessing, bro, to know that we're still fans out there like you, man. I appreciate you. Absolutely. And actually, before we get started, you and I actually met about 10 and a half years ago at a party that you had at Brookhaven Country Club. I definitely remember the two parties that I had there, so I know you had a good time probably because I remember those parties. Yeah, I had a great time, man. Uh, One of my buddies was a a lifeguard there, and he just kind of let us in, and I I had a really good time. Uh, Good, I'm glad you can enjoy yourself. For sure. One of the first questions that I like to ask is, how did you get started in the game of basketball? Like, at, at what age did you find yourself becoming passionate about it? Uh, I want to say around the age of 12. Uh, that was actually the first time I had asked my grandma to buy me a basketball and a basketball goal yeah. at the same time, which is a little bit expensive for her taste, but she made it happen for me. So, um, And then I just took to it. I actually wasn't the best basketball player around that age either. Mm-hmm. Really got picked on a lot because I was like a little skinny, strong kid, and all I could do was block shots. So, um, you know, it was just a blessing that, you know, I was able to get to the, the level that I got to, you know, from the start of basketball when I first started playing. So at, at what age did you start to notice that you were significantly better than, than the guys you were playing with? Uh, I'd say like around 16. Oh, yeah, wow. probably going into my my junior year uh, is when I really like realized like I could actually be good, but I didn't think like Division One. You know, I just thought yeah. I would be a typical, you know, kid that could play, you know, and, and you know just deal with that. But um, honestly, I think the year when I went, when I was uh, after my senior, I went to military school, right. and that year really hum- humbled me. It made me realize that it's a little bit more to life than basketball. Mm-hmm. but also helped me realize like that I could compete with the best kids in the nation at that point. So it was kind of like a, a win-win for me and it made me mo- even more motivated to, you know, once I got into college to just give it my all. Absolutely. Yeah. I saw after your, your time at Glen high school, when you went to Hargrave military Academy and you played with, with David West there, right? Oh yeah. David West. Yep. That was one of my teammates. Yes, sir. That's cool. Who else did you play with, or did you play with anyone else pretty notable, or play against anyone else while you were there? That's pretty notable. Uh, Demari Johnson was somebody that I played against. He was at the uh, at a prep school called MCI. Oh yeah. I uh, played against Karan Butler as well. Um, That's cool. I forgot the name of his school, but uh, as far as on my team, like me and David West wasn't even slated to be like the top guys. So oh, wow. it was a coincidence that me and him were able to 
break through and and become you know NBA players and NBA All Stars actually. So yeah, you know to have that type of type of talent. And we was both from North Carolina, even though he claims T neck first, then he <laughs> he, he moves down to Garner, North Carolina. So I give him that one. But yeah, to have a guy like that come from the same state is definitely awesome, and, and it helps it help, actually helps you compete even harder to know you got somebody out there that's playing just as hard as you. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, he actually, when he was in Teaneck, he went to high school with um, one of my first cousins on on my dad's side of the family. So my cousin actually knows David a little bit. So after you finished your time at at military school, what what events unfolded for you to be able to move on to to Wake Forest? Um, well, to be honest, Wake Forest kept their word with me. Like I tried to get in uh, at Wake Forest after I got graduated from high school. It's like I think I want to call it a Prop 38, where I would have to sit out the first semester just to get my grades together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought it would be best for me. Me and my parents thought it'd be best for me just to go up to military school, get a little bit of discipline, um, become a wing because I also was a post player coming out of high school. So I definitely oh, wow. had to transition to being a guard. Yeah, within eight months. So. I chose the the, the hard grade route because I knew all I needed to do was pass my SAT as well. I was definitely gifted enough to you know get all my grades to be above a B. Yeah. I was having that average. I just I didn't do good in my SAT at all. So mm-hmm. that's what that was the other reason why I had to take the uh, military school route. Right. But, uh, was that a a hard transition for you going from a post player to a wing player in such a short amount of time? <laughs> I, I welcomed the challenge. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was a, it was definitely a challenge because I was coming into school with like one kid, uh, Ronald Blackshear. He actually ended up going, I think, to the University of Georgia or had a scholarship to go there. But he was one of the guys that I kind of mingled my game after because he was definitely a, a pure two guard coming in with a crossover that I had to figure out how to guard if I wanted to play basketball. <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, he definitely taught me, you know, real quick how to become a guard. That's awesome. That's really cool. So, I mean, obviously, you, everyone would say you had a very successful career at, at Wake Forest. Um, what was the most memorable part about your four-year college career for you? Besides just getting accepted into a premier college as Wake Forest or premier mm-hmm. university as Wake Forest, that was number one. But my senior year, most definitely because uh, the ACC had slated us to be the eighth seed out of nine teams basically was the last seed and I definitely wasn't going that for my senior year so I basically put the team on my back and wheeled us to be outright the the number one team you know in the conference and win the ACC outright for the first time you know I want to say since 78 when David Thompson did it so that that was like the biggest accomplishment I could ever really you know say stand it out of my mind as far as like in college. Um, yeah, I know you had a very successful career there with the uh, ACC Player of the Year and also ACC First Team and Defensive Team mm-hmm. and First Team All American. So that's really awesome. Um, so after your you finish your four years at Wake Forest and you're getting ready for the 2003 NBA Draft, what were your expectations going into the draft? <laughs> Just to get drafted, to yeah. be honest. Like <laughs> I I had no clue. Like the feedback was real vague as far as like. You know, at that point, it was about getting guys from overseas or players from overseas. So with me being a four-year senior, mm-hmm. at that point, they felt like, you know, I pretty much, I guess you could say, grown or, or topped out, and I wouldn't improve no more. So I think that was the main reason why my, my stock fell. But mm-hmm. I definitely used that as another motivational tool. <laughs> yeah. Coming that I came from Hargrave, so it was already like, you know, I wasn't going to let that stop me. So I sure wasn't going to let my drafts uh, fall like stopped me from being the best player I could be. So, you know, I definitely took that as a challenge and 
you know, even with Dallas open me, uh, accepting me and taking me in as open arms as they did, you know, I definitely felt the love and wanted to play even harder for the city and the team. Did you work out for Dallas at all? Not at all. Like, wow. it was a surprise. <laughs> yeah. Like, I still sit back and think, like, when we was in the house, like, it was just like yesterday, like, we wasn't expecting it. And next thing you know, I came back inside from just hanging out with my friends because I definitely thought I was going to be a second rounder. Mm-hmm. And it was like a surreal moment just to hear my name called on national TV. And then they just played a highlight. And I just remember breaking down crying and hugging my mama and my grandma. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that definitely was the best thing. Yeah, that, no, that sounds like a really cool moment. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you got to share that with your family. H- had you ever been to Dallas before by the time you had, you had to move here? Never had a clue. Never. I mean, of course, <laughs> outside of the uh, the soap opera, uh, that's right. the only thing I knew about Dallas because my mom was big on watching soap operas, and Dallas was one of them. So <laughs> I just knew it's definitely a bigger city than where I grew up at, and I was definitely looking forward to the challenge. Let alone I was a, well, I still am, but a Dallas Cowboys fan growing up. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I know your first season, your rookie season, you came into a Mavericks team that was. I mean, just stacked in terms of like, off, yeah, offensive, like offensive scoring capability, just a very explosive team. And your first game, and actually, I talked to Marquise about this too, probably like a month ago. Your first game and, yeah. and those jerseys you wore on opening night. What what do you remember uh, most about those jerseys from that game in LA? One of the ugliest fashion statements, <laughs> let alone <laughs> worst butt whooping I ever took coming into the NBA. So. It was a double whammy. <laughs> yeah, because also playing against Shaq and Carl Malone and Gary Payton, right? Yes, sir. So they yeah. were still in a prime as well. So it was definitely like another surreal moment where I had an opportunity to set foot on the same court as uh, this perennial Hall of Famers and, and actually play against them. So it was an experience that I could never have taken away from it, but I definitely learned from it because we also learned that we had to come and play. <laughs> and be ready to play no matter what the situation was. So I definitely learned a lot. With having veterans on that team like Michael Finley, Steve Nash, Dirk, Walker, and Jameson, um, how did how did that benefit you as a as a as a rookie? Oh man, um, I mean, from just being patient with the game. To understanding when I needed to go out and have a good time with my teammates and knowing when I needed to stay in and just relax and get my mind right for the game. Yeah. And that's one thing I will appreciate for, you know, every vet that I had, you know, in Dallas, because that's why I spent the majority of my time before I became a vet myself. Right. So, I mean, like you say, all those guys, like hats off to them. I know it was a lot of them because I've seen a yeah. lot come through Dallas. Yeah. But, when I honestly can say I had a good relationship at the time with those guys that came through, I can honestly say I did. And they taught me something just about being a man and being patient with everything that comes along with, you know, our career. So it was definitely a great experience with that, you know, and then even having a coach like Donnie Nelson, like, Oh man, like he was like a wizard offensively. <laughs> a lot yeah. of people said he couldn't coach defense, but he definitely <laughs> got on us about defense. Yeah. But as far as offense. Oh man. Coach Nelson definitely knew his X's and O's. Absolutely, yeah. Those were some of um, you caught you kind of caught him at the tail end of his time in Dallas. But those were some of the most mm-hmm. fun teams and some of the most uh, yeah fun teams that I enjoyed watching. Just as a fan, they were just up and down and going so fast and just getting as many shots up as possible and just explosive and fun and free flowing. That I mean, that was really cool that you got to yeah. be a part of that. Yeah, and and one thing I take from him that I'm trying to instill in my coaching is like you can play that way. 
but you have to play within your means, understanding mm-hmm. what you can and can't do. And like that's one thing I definitely learned with playing with like Dirk, definitely Steve Nash and that pick and roll game. Yeah, like understanding where to get each other the ball or when to take that shot. And a lot of guys don't realize that. Like, of course, there's a lot of practice come along with playing basketball, but you have to understand what you can and can't do to be successful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That so, definitely was a great experience. <laughs> I know that 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 your rookie year kind of ended disappointingly, for, at least in terms of postseason success, because the year prior the Mavs had gone all the way to the Western Conference Finals, and then mm-hmm. you, uh, you guys lost to five games in Sacramento. And then the next year you come back and during that off season, Steve Nash had decided to move on to Phoenix. Uh, did that impact you personally? Like, did, did you have a good relationship with Nash? Were, were you kind of surprised to see him leave? Uh, well, I was surprised, but I was still young in the league. Yeah. Um, not really under, well, understanding that, it, like, you know, Steve and us as, as NBA players, we're a business ourselves. So right. understanding that if he wanted to leave, you know, and if it was best for him and his family, then, you know, hats off to him. You know, nothing but love. And at the same time with me, you know, being uh, the type of rookie that I was that previous year and knowing that my role could, you know, grow, I had to be willing to step up and take that challenge. You know, and I think everybody else around me at the time, you know, understood that as well and I had to step up. So it definitely was, you know, different not having Steve around. I know especially for Dirk. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, just, you know, understanding that we had to grow up and, you know, find somebody else. Yeah. that can step up and do the same things, which we did, you know, believe it or not, which you've seen it yourself. So it definitely was a win-win situation for both, you know, parties. It definitely was. I mean, because you, you guys brought in Jason Terry and, and drafted a very talented rookie in, in Devin Harris. So it was it was different, but it was you're right. It was still very, uh, very successful. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys have a great regular season that year. And then the 2005 playoffs start and against Houston. And those first two games, Houston won both of them in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Was there a sense of any sense of like panic or frustration at that time? Like, did you guys think the series was over? Obviously, you guys ended up winning the series, which was which was great. But I'm just kind of curious what the, yeah. the vibe was like at that time. Yeah, I think naturally everybody thought it was over, but at the same time, with that being said, the, the pressure was more so on Houston to try to close it out. Right. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, previous that year, we had definitely had battled back and forth where we, we knew we can beat them on their court. I think we did beat them on their court a couple of times that season, like mm-hmm. in the regular season. So we just knew if we were to put our heads together and, and buckle down and executed the game plan that was given to us, like the game would come to us. Now, definitely – Guard, and I always say this when people ask me who was the hardest person I had to guard, I always say Tracy McGrady because he had Yao Ming set mean screens. Yeah. So to have to deal with that and understand, like, you had to play against, again, two Hall, Hall of Famers and have to figure out a way to stop them and then win a game, <laughs> Yeah. you know, it's a mess to the madness, and we definitely figured it out late in the game. <laughs> Absolutely. We were able to close that, that series out. Yeah, uh, that was definitely a, uh, a memorable series. And I know you had some good moments in that series and, and played well. And I think yeah. that was the first time I've ever seen anybody win a game seven by 40 points. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was incredible. But, yeah. yeah, after such a back and forth series, that was, that was really neat. So then the following series after that, you guys go up against Steve Nash and that very explosive Phoenix team. I, I know you, you played mm-hmm. well in that series, but – what do you remember most about about that series? Because I mean, things that I remember. Well, I know Dirk hit a game winner in game two, but just kind of overall, he 
he never really seemed to get it together during during that that postseason. He was just inconsistent and at times looked frustrated. Do do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's just like with any player. You have your rough patches, and you pray they don't come. You know, when when the team needs you the most, but. Yeah. You know, unfortunately for Dirk, that's what happened. But at the same time, as a professional, you're taught to rally around your troops. You know, mm-hmm. we definitely wasn't going to let Dirk down. Yeah. As many times as he saved games for us, you know, so it was just, you know, us coming around him and, you know, supporting him, which he definitely, definitely stepped it up, you know, when he, when we needed him. But mm-hmm. just that overall atmosphere again, you know, the up and down game, the rivalry that was created with Steve leaving and, you know, playing his former team, you know, and even with the MVP race type thing, because Dirk yeah. definitely was a deserving candidate just as much as Steve winning it. So it was all a great atmosphere for basketball, you mm-hmm. know, and I, like I say, to be a part of that and to then be successful or on a successful end of winning and moving on to the finals and stuff like that, it was definitely an experience, again, that I would never trade and definitely try to teach my college players now. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, 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 that that series definitely was one that that's a memorable one. I remember yeah. Tim Thomas knocking down some shots against us too. Yeah. Oh yeah, or that was, was the the following year in two thousand. The following, okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. See, I'm I'm a year ahead of myself now. Yeah. I'm sorry <laughs> no, on that one. Oh no worries at all. No worries at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, that's fine. But yeah, I, I did want to move into that year obviously because that two thousand six is a big year in um yeah. in Mavericks history. But before uh, we touched on you know, a little bit of that Sun Series in the finals. What I really wanted to ask you about is that Spurs Series that year. You know, that to me, and I talked to Josh Powell a couple weeks ago, and he was saying, you know, to him that that second round Spurs Series was in a way kind of like your guys' NBA or your guys' finals that year, just in terms of the uh, the rivalry and just how intense that series was. Uh, from a fan standpoint, I thought that series – was awesome. I mean, every game went down to like the last seconds and it was just so intense and just nail biters all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, was that the most, even though you're competing really hard, was that the most fun you had in the playoffs of that particular series? Yeah. And I can kind of compare it to like when, when I was at Wake and we beat Duke finally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't understand like just that excitement, but the, the pure satisfaction of understanding like it's a rivalry and you, you want to beat these top teams. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, San Antonio being an uh, in-state rivalry, you know, with Dallas and also Houston, is definitely like bragging rights. And, you know, when you step on the court with those two teams and um, like you say, to add the atmosphere of the playoffs, it definitely was something that we wanted to do and wanted to win. And like you say, to even go down there and get wins on their court definitely was a tough situation to do, but to pull that off again, I remember yeah. a man talking junk, you know, <laughs> calling us hot dogs. And it was just funny just to hear him. Like, he was so sincere about just calling us hot dogs like we was trying to showboat. But he didn't realize, like, we just wanted to win. <laughs> like, we've seen San Antonio do it so much. Like, we wanted to do it and knew we could do it as well. Absolutely, yeah. That that series was uh, – that was incredible. And one thing I remember about really that entire playoff run, and I guess during a lot of that time of year – career in Dallas you always seemed like a guy who got the Mavs going like I feel like you had a lot of double digit scoring first quarters and just mm-hmm. was that part of the game plan or something because I feel like that happened a lot I I, I just I have a yeah. yeah I'm just wondering <laughs> yeah I would say we fell into it and that's hey, it's something that like I said with the the type of team that we had the the camaraderie that we had with guys yeah. who got along 
Yeah. Like I, I would say Jason Terry used to call me the party starter because of that. Yeah. Because <laughs> if Josh Howard wasn't out there going 100 miles an hour from jump ball, something wasn't right. And yeah. I knew that that was like my that was what I had to do in order for my team to go along yeah. with having to rebound, defend the best player. And in the second half, understand that it wasn't my time to score. It was for the big man, the big swish and, and jit. So, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's definitely you understanding your role. Like mm-hmm. I say, and, and again, that's another thing that I try to teach my players because you have to take a step back and realize what you can and can't do, do and who does it best on your team. So once you realize you can sacrifice certain things, your team definitely is a better successful team. And, and yeah, like – to understand, like you said again, and like Jack called me the party starter, to understand that I was the one that had to get at least 11 points in the first half, yeah. in the first quarter. Yeah, I better hit did it. It wasn't yeah. we were going to win. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's really cool. And uh, it was nice to hear that. Yeah, just because I, I just remember that being like a common occurrence during those years that, mm-hmm. uh, that, that you were down here playing. So, yeah, I know you guys beat the Spurs in game seven on their court, which is one of the most – iconic Mavs wins in history you go on yeah. and, and this year you are able to get past Phoenix in the conference finals in, in a pretty entertaining series and you had some outstanding games I'm looking at some of the your points I know you had you had a 29 point game a 23 point game a 22 point game so it's obvious the Mavs don't yeah. win that series without you and then you move on to the finals which was a really exciting time in Dallas and you guys win two games pretty convincingly yeah. um and then i mean yeah. and then you know and things kind of fell apart uh what what are your feelings about how that that happened well it, the feelings were mixed you know at the time yeah. you know hats off to miami for just you know being able to come back and win yeah but with all the controversy that was brought along with it over the years you know all you can do is just say hats off to miami yeah and i kind of learned you know as the years went by just to deal with it you know from yeah all the play calls to the fouls to the timeouts, you know, like mm-hmm. it's all a part of the game, you know. And all I can say is just, again, to fall back to the experience that I had that nobody could ever take away from me mm-hmm. and to know, like, the mind frame you had to be in to be able to play basically preseason and play a whole regular season and turn back around and play basically, we used to always say, like a third season mm-hmm. within a month's time is mentally and physically draining and for us to put that aside and make it to that point is is not as a championship in my book no matter which way it falls you know so yeah um it's definitely an experience that i wish i could get back and be the victor but again like i said it's always have to be a winner and a loser and i definitely want to give my hats off to miami and those guys for winning mm-hmm. but you know if i can do it again i definitely want to win yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, that that makes sense. And uh, I think you've echoed uh, similar sentiments that that Marquise and and Josh Powell said, you know, they obviously they wish things had gone differently, but they they do acknowledge or, you know, give respect to Miami in that regard. Now, after after that season, you were part of this, uh, the great regular season team the next year, the 2007 Mavs, 67 wins. And you guys had some unbelievable winning streaks during that year um Lord. i think like 12 and 12 games 13 games i know you had a 17 games um yeah, i'm about to say yeah mm-hmm. yeah from during that those winning streaks what was the the team's mentality like at that time like w- when you're just on a roll like that like i mean how, like how, how does what's the locker room environment like during winning streaks like that i mean great team chemistry yeah. um 
like again, echoing back what we were talking about earlier about knowing when to do what you have to do to help the team go. Like I right. said, and I mean, you have to hold yourself accountable and responsible in everything, you know, as far as like being a professional in the game of basketball, especially at the level that we was at. So, you know, we are we also understood coming back in from losing, like we couldn't be feeling sorry for ourselves and wanting, you know, the NBA world to feel sorry for ourselves. So we definitely mm-hmm. had to come out and make a, make a statement letting everybody know that we was hungry and wanted to get back to where we were the previous year. You know, unfortunately, you know, we ran into a hot-ass Golden State team. <laughs> you know, and I definitely, if I could get that series back, if, if they could pay me to go back in time, that's the one that I would probably want back right. to play again. You know, because it definitely hats off to them for stepping it up and coming out and competing like they did against us. But, you know, I, I definitely want that game back. That's probably – that that is up there, like with the San Antonio games. Yeah, <laughs> I, for sure. That series, yeah. I did have a question on that. Um, I, I I've been a Mavs fan for twenty two years now, something like that. And I, you know, I've watched as many games as I can. And what I remember from like that season and the year or two prior to that is Golden State, like, kind of gave the Mavs some some trouble, like in in the regular season. Mm-hmm. And when you when you guys saw that they might be a potential first round matchup, was there any level of concern that you know it might not be a, a typical one eight matchup if if you guys ended up where to play them, or were you guys still pretty confident going in? Uh, I think a little bit of that doubt crept in because, like yeah. you just said, they they matched up well with us. They you did. Know, that was, I think, what the first time a team played small ball against us. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Where they had like. Steven Jackson at the four, uh, Al Harrington at the five, or the left-handed kid that they have at the five. Yeah. And uh, Al Harrington at the four. So that made it difficult for Dirk to have to guard a, a more agile, athletic wing guy, you know, mm-hmm. and then at the same time come down and they could guard Dirk. They couldn't block his shot, but they could definitely move their feet to get in front of him, which definitely had frustrated Dirk. And heck, they, they did it to me too. So they definitely had a great coaching scheme as far as, like, the, where, where they wanted us to catch the ball and trap us at. You know, and it definitely was a tough, tough, tough series. You know, they was just definitely able to take advantage of the mismatching. You know, not, they definitely knocked down some big timely threes as well. Yes, you know, they did. That's that's what they were really known for, and they really caught fire. And with confidence comes big buckets, and they definitely had the confidence to make those shots. So, yeah, I definitely, like I said again, to, to have one game back or that series back, I definitely would if I could do it again. But to lose to a great team like that, you know, I definitely had off to them as well. Yeah, that certainly was a uh, a memorable series. But, you know, at the end of the day, you guys were still had an incredibly successful regular season. So I think that's something to be proud about. Oh, yeah. The uh, the next season yeah. was pretty memorable. And there's a couple things I want to talk to you about that one. One is your 47-point game against the Jazz in December of 2007. Um, I'm looking at your stat line here. You went 14 of 19 from the field, four out of five on threes, 15 of 17 from the free throw line, and you had 10 rebounds. So, yeah. what, what do you remember most about that game? I can't imagine being in a in a zone like that. Yeah, it was just like the the basket was just like an open ocean, and all I had to do was just just throw the ball in the air, and I knew it was going in. Um, but again, it just came from just the constant constant work ethic that I took and I learned from Dirk Nowinski just being a constant professional coming in and working on your craft. Mm-hmm. So at that point in my career, I definitely was having a great time learning the game and learning my spots. And mm-hmm. and to do it against a defensive-minded team that the Utah Jazz was definitely spoke volumes on, 
on me being able to stay consistent. But I do remember definitely the next couple of days I felt like Utah Jazz had kicked my ass. Excuse my language. <laughs> <laughs> no, I you can say sore. whatever you want. <laughs> okay, yes, I was sore as I don't know what. And I remember even the next two days just kind of taking it easy at practice because <laughs> I gave them my all, man. And I know Utah definitely, they put Matt Harper in and AK-47 on me too. Oh, man. Definitely hard-nosed defensive guys that will fire you at the end of the day. So, I definitely got my share of fouls when I, I came through the lane or knocked down shots. But just the overall experience of being able to do that and, like I say, to do it on that number of shots definitely yeah. definitely let me know that I was an offensive-minded player. You know, I just still, again, had to pick and choose my moments, you know, because I played with two great scorers and Jason Terry and Dirk Nowinski. So, you know, I just knew, you know, when it was my time, I would take advantage of it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I was actually in college at that time, and uh, but I used to try to stream any game I could, um, any Mavs games. And I, I remember sitting in my dorm room watching that, and I was just – I, I think I, I told my roommate who wasn't even an NBA fan, I was like, you got to come watch this. And he, he just, he's yeah. not, a, he wasn't a basketball guy. So he just, he didn't really care, but I, he didn't understand. It was, it was awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, thank yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and then also that spring, the arrival, uh, Jason Kidd would, made his return to Dallas. And yeah. one thing I wanted to ask you about that is I remember his first 20 games um, you guys had 10 wins and 10 losses. The 10 wins were against teams with a losing record. The 10 losses were against teams with a winning record. So what do you remember most about trying to fit Jason Kidd into, you know, what had been a, a pretty successful team but was obviously struggling with a, a new point guard right off the bat? Um, I just knew I didn't want to get hit in the back of the head with the ball <laughs> as far as, like, knowing what type of passer he was. So, yeah, I think my biggest thing was just staying aware that I know the ball could come at any time. So, yeah, that was my biggest adjustment. But, you know, as far as, like, just the overall adjustment to the team, um, I don't really think we had an issue. I just think, you know, at that time, like, teams was geared up to beat us because you just, you know, as yeah. you said, previous to that year, everybody – couldn't stop us so you know it came right. to a point where I think teams realized like all right we got to do this this and this to kind of slow them down so mm -hmm. I think we eventually caught streaks at towards the end of that season but yes you did um like it, it was definitely just a great experience to play with Jason Kidd like I still think about that as part of part of my career where I can honestly say like I played with a definitely Hall of Famer and Jason Kidd and I got a chance to play with him when he started knocking down threes which a lot of people can't say they had a chance to see. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Because yeah. that by, by the time he came back here, he had developed into a pretty pretty good spot yeah. up three-point shooter. So uh, I agree with you there. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty cool that you got to play with both him and Steve Nash. So, um, yeah, yeah that you're real, that's really uh, fortunate in that regard. And then the next season, uh, or I guess that season, you know, the Mavs had a first-round playoff loss again um, against mm -hmm. New Orleans. And then – after that, Avery was let go, and they bring in Rick Carlisle. Was it tough for you to adjust going from, from Avery to Rick? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. You know, especially at that time in my career, as much as me and uh, Avery had jailed and even Don Nelson, like, you know, it was a different coach, you know, not saying nothing was wrong with him. It was just at that time I was younger, trying yeah. to find my way at the same time, especially with the off-the-court stuff that I had to deal with or was right. dealing with. Definitely just wasn't in the right frame of mind to be, I guess you would say, a successful Maverick at that time. So, um, yeah, it was just it was just kind of a rough road for me. But I still, you know, as I as I came to play, I definitely played my hardest. 
It was just at that time, you know, just trying to find my way was definitely my biggest concern. Yeah. No, that, that obviously making a big adjustment like that, you had been with Avery for a long time. I could see why that would be difficult. I did have one question about that season. And I don't remember if you were on the court when this happened, but in the playoffs against Denver, if a call, if a foul is called on Antoine Wright before Carmelo hits that three, do you think um, the series could have been different? Yes, I was on the court. I was the, okay. the next two guys beside him. Yes, and Avery was yelling foul and foul and foul and right beside the ref. Antoine fouled him in front of the ref. The ref he didn't did. call it. Yeah, yeah. Then then Melo go up to shoot. Really not a foul. Ref calls it then. That's when I really started thinking, like, pre, you know, <laughs> referees definitely have a little bit more power than what they say because it's just like, come on, bro, he fouled you in front of him. It should have been right then and there that the foul happened. Yeah. But, you know, again, you know, you can't change that. You know, you just have to roll with the punches and deal with it. You yeah. Know, but it, definitely was, it definitely was a foul before he had took the shot. Like, I will definitely fess, fess up and say that. Like, it was I, a foul. It was, and that was super frustrating because that was just like – a punch to the gut, and then instead of having a chance to tie it up at home, all of a sudden you're down yeah. 3-0 after a, uh, just an obvious foul and it was not called. So that one still bugs mm-hmm. me, and I wanted to see if it still bugged you too. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, even with learning how to accept losing like that, you know, it's definitely yeah. like you get over it. But like you say, when you bring it up and think about it, like I actually forgot that it happened. But, yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah it'll, it'll tee off. But it definitely, like, again, to put me in the coach's mindset, it always have my guys ready when I get ready to break them from the huddle to be prepared to do anything or be prepared to handle whatever ref throws at you. Right. Because <laughs> you got to be. <laughs> so I know the next season at the trade deadline, you were traded from Dallas to Washington. Were you caught off guard by that, or was it something that maybe you were expecting at, at that time? Yeah, I think, again, with what we were talking about previously, I kind of think it was expecting it to happen. Yeah. Um, I just didn't know where I was going to end up. You know, I just welcomed the challenge and understood, you know, like, again, what we talked about with uh, Nash moving on, I knew it was a possibility that I could have an opportunity somewhere else. And if I if it happened, you know, just take advantage of it. Um, definitely always kept my heart here in Dallas because I still live here. But mm-hmm. um, I just understood it was a business, and, you know, I had to move on. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I was – I was sad to see you go. I know you had been a big part of some great seasons in in, uh, in Mavs history. And to this day, we haven't beaten the Spurs in the playoffs since you left. So, and, 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 and I never and you, knew that. You were, I mean, they've won some games, but they haven't won a series. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that you were 2 and 0 against the Spurs in the playoffs. And since you left, we're 0 and 2. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you giving me that piece of knowledge. I will hold that near to my heart now. <laughs> so I know you went to, you were in the Wizards for a couple of years and you had some injury problems. And then, yeah. you, then you were in Utah and it was, in Utah that you were able to come back to Dallas as a visiting player. Um, what, what was that experience like for you? It was definitely different, you know, yeah. uh, to be in the visitor locker room. I definitely, like yeah. I say, if I could do it again, I wish I was in the home locker room, but you know, just to accept that challenge and come on out and, you know, enjoy the atmosphere. I think a lot of people had basically forgot about me because I, I got hurt yeah. and had to sit out a year. So, you know, at, at that point, especially in the NBA, you know, fanfare, definitely forget about you quick, you know, even with mm-hmm. what you did, even if it was a positive thing. So, you know, I understood that, but I definitely, at that point, was a Utah Jazz and wanted to get the win and, you know, just give it all while I was here. 
Right. And um, I was trying to find it on YouTube. I didn't know if there was like a introduction of you at the American Airlines Center as a, as a visiting player. So, I mean, so were you saying you didn't get like much of a, a reception from the fans or just, it was kind of just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was like, yeah, we forgot about Josh Howard. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't like I was looking forward or looking for like right. any type of grand entrance. You know, I just, like I said, understand that it's a business. Like, <laughs> Is other athletes come in right behind you, so it's easy for fans to definitely forget about you. But you know, like I said, I'm not looking for that. It's no hard feelings. I just definitely enjoy my experience as a professional athlete. Absolutely. Well, uh, I mean, you were very highly regarded during your playing time here. So I, I think if they ever do some sort of like reunion thing here, I think you would get a uh, a huge reception. That would oh, yeah, that, yeah. that would be cool to see. <laughs> so I know after. You, after your Utah stint, you, you, you did go to Minnesota for a little bit, but unfortunately you got hurt again. And then mm-hmm. you had a couple of uh, comeback attempts um, in the D League. So, um, and now, or I guess, when did you officially end your playing career? Was it after the D League with the Austin Toros or, or the, you know, yeah, you're with the Pelicans, was, right? Yeah, and then the next year I had a, a chance to be with the Pelicans, but when they didn't yeah. pick me up, uh, after uh, preseason, I definitely decided just to go ahead and find other things to do. And uh, I actually set out a year. Yeah. I had a chance to go play overseas in China, but I definitely didn't want to do that, especially with me having kids. I wanted to be more closer to them. So yeah, I focused more into my um, my foundation, which is the Josh Howard Foundation. Mm-hmm. I started the after school program and definitely stepped up my efforts to do more camps in my hometown. Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and uh, I started a feeding program through the government here in Dallas, Texas, feeding, um, I guess you could say, underprivileged kids or um, community-challenged kids where they're at low-income areas where, you know, they have a hard time getting meals after lunchtime or whenever they come home from school. So uh, my foundation provides that through the government, and uh, that's what's been a success since I started that. And uh, fell into coaching, believe it or not. Definitely wasn't looking on being a coach, but (laughs) – Opportunity opportunity presented itself with me doing uh my workouts back in North Carolina mm-hmm. and the university that I'm at, uh Piedmont International. Mm-hmm. Uh, their head coach uh had to take a, he had to take a leave of absence and they asked me if I wanted to fill in and I was like, Sure, why not? Let me see if everything I learned worked on other <laughs> <laughs> and it did. That's <laughs> so, awesome. Yeah, I was gonna ask you a little bit about your coaching career. So uh do you incorporate anything from Don Nelson Avery or, or Rick into into your team's strategy? Yes, most definitely. I use a lot of the plays that we use. Oh, really? Uh, especially <laughs> uh, the Avery and Don Nelson days. Yeah. Um, and just trying to make sure guys realize the spots on the court and what you can and can't do, how to make the, the correct bounce pass, you know, coming down the lane instead of trying to throw it across your chest thinking somebody's going to catch it. Mm-hmm. Um, teaching them how to run the floor and just be able to stop on the dime for a pull-up jump shot. Uh, making the game easier for them <laughs> yeah. instead of thinking they can shoot these threes like Steph Curry. I have them try to, <laughs> you know, take a step in and do stuff that they practice. You know, so I, de- I definitely use a lot of stuff or echo myself after a lot of the former coaches that I had. That's awesome. Um, so I just have a couple more questions for you. Actually, one, one question and one kind of just story, I guess. So before you and I talked tonight, I, uh, I sent Marquise a message and I asked him, I said, hey, I'm talking to Josh tonight. Is there anything funny I can bring up? And he said, yeah, ask him about Apple orthodontics. <laughs> For the smile of your life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so what, uh, what did he mean? 
Okay. Okay. So uh, when I said for the smile of your life, so at the end of the Apple Orthodontics commercials, me and Marquise was able to become like a sponsor or the face of their commercials with braces. Uh-huh. So uh, I guess the three years that we had braces, we always had to do commercials. And any time a commercial would come on, they would have me and Marquise smiling. And we have, we would have to always say for the smile of your life after they would say after, after orthodontics. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it was pretty funny, man. It was, yeah. it was definitely a marketing thing that, we kind of fell into, but you know, that, that, that man, that's still my buddy to this day, him and Josh Powell. So, um, we built great relationships, you know, through marketing and just playing basketball. And I love those guys for that. Yeah, absolutely. They, uh, I, have talked to both of them so far and, you know, I, they both have good memories of their time in Dallas and, um, I could, and they mentioned that, you know, you guys are all still really good friends. So that, that was cool to hear. Yeah. And the uh, the last question I have, and I asked Marquise the same question that I'm about to ask you. During your rookie year, there were 15 guys on the Mavs roster. I wanted to see how many of them you can name. And this is just regular season, not not preseason. Your rookie year. Okay. Uh, do I, okay, Jan Stephan. Yep. Myself, uh, Marquise Daniels, Tony Dell, Travis Best. Antoine Walker, Antoine Jameson, Sean Bradley, Steve Nash, Michael Finley, Dirk Nowinski, Eddie Nahara. And I think that's <laughs> all I got for you. Okay, I think, I, for the, I think you got you missed one. three of them. Marquise uh, only missed one. <laughs> but uh, uh, you, you got uh, Scott Williams. Um, oh, Scott. Oh, oh and Danny Fortson. <laughs> Danny Fortson. Look. And then there's one more that uh, that Marquise – this is the guy that Marquise forgot. Mamadou Njai. Oh, I forgot Mamadou Njai was on the team. Yeah, he wasn't there very long. I forgot long. all about that. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, he was like in and out. Something yeah. Something like with his help or something. I think he had like a 10-day contract or something, and then he, he didn't come back. But um, Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. Um, you did, you did pretty good. So that's, uh, yeah, that, that, that's was cool. right. <laughs> um, that was a good question. I can't believe I remember that. Uh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. So, yeah, I mean, thanks so much for, uh, for talking to me tonight, Josh. This is incredible for me. Like I said, I'm a lifelong Mavs fan and, uh, I've been rooting for that for the team since 1995. So, um, thanks for taking the time to talk with me tonight. All right. You're welcome, man. Have a blessed evening. All right. Thanks, Josh. All right. Okay, bye.